Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having an okay week. Um, I'm in a good mood today because I went on the tube and I read a book. Small things, uh, please, small minds, my mum likes to tell me. Um, anyway, I hope you're having an okay week wherever you are. I know it is coming up to Mother's Day if you're listening in America. I wish all the countries would get together and agree on the same day for Mother's and Father's Day because then we would all be able to help each other. Would that be better or worse? I don't know. I feel like then we'd all be like, wait, it's done. Because um, I saw in the calendar, Father's Day is coming up in June. I always think, why is it in June? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, Dad's Day shouldn't be so summery. Don't ask me why. Anyway, uh, I am thinking of you if you are currently facing one of those days. And I hope that it's okay. My tip is always stay off social media. That's the only thing I think that actually helps. <laughs> Um, thank you for your lovely words on Catherine May's episode last week. Uh, if you enjoyed it, please do rate, review and subscribe as I pathetically ask you to do every week if you've done it already. Thank you so much. This week I'm talking to a very, very funny man who's a brilliant stand-up. It is Jeff Norcott. Uh, you would have seen Jeff on Live the Apollo, Mash Report, Mock the Week. He's even been on Question Time as well. He's an incredibly funny person. Uh, he has a brand new book, Where Did I Go Right?, which is out tomorrow, if you're listening to this, on the day of release, 13th of May, 2021, uh, wherever you are currently listening to it. Jeff came in to talk to me about a whole array of griefs that he has suffered. Firstly, we talked about his mum, and then he had a stillbirth, uh, lost a baby at 34 weeks. Also his friend, his dad and his stepdad as well. So we talk about lots of things. Uh, obviously baby loss is one of them. And also, yeah, just grief in general when you've been through quite the ringer. Here's Jeff. 
How are you today, Jeff? I've been asking everybody this about mm. like lockdown life. We're sort of easing at the moment, but are you sort of like, yeah. are you someone who's thinking, I don't feel great about this easing, or are you out? In no, the no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really good. I, um, I'm a very public person. I really, hate, I, it wasn't like a lockdown skeptic, <laughs> denier or anything like that, but I just hated being in lockdown. Both me mm. and my wife, we're, we're very, you know, we like to be out and stuff like that. So I've noticed a, a a real uptick in my mental health as things have started to open. I, I just I just get a buzz out of knowing stuff's happening. So even yeah. if I'm not going to the pub, if I drive through town and there are people having a pint or just sitting having a panini, I don't know why it's the only <laughs> food I could think of. <laughs> I tried to be fancy there to impress your listeners. And and I picked something that was very mid-90s fancy. Uh, that was such a paninis, buzz. Right? Oh, paninis. Paninis oh from the high God. street. That was like, you were living if you had a panini. You were living. You also had to learn your panini face. So when you're waiting for them to be toasted, mm. it's actually quite a long time. It's, long. it's up there with a shish kebab. Yes, yes, that's true. So you... You've, and we didn't have phones then either, yeah. so you had to sort of meditate your way through the <laughs> toasting process. And I think we'd all come from the world of cheese toasties much quicker. So you were like, why and, does this and taste cheaper. And cheaper. And so much cheaper than a panini. <laughs> yeah. And didn't leave yeah. your sandwich covered in black marks, like those, like, like it'd been run over. I remember having yeah. a panini and being like, everyone says it's good, but actually now the bread is really, really crunchy and it's sort of marked and it's boiling hot. I can't eat it. Where's my cheese toastie? I'm not sure that the cheese toastie was, was worse than the panini, but it, in the town I live now, it's gone full circle, whereas now cheese toasties are oh, now fashionable. more expensive than yeah. paninis. Mm. And, and um, yeah, they just it's just like, you know, DVDs to USBs. They've just got to resell you the same <laughs> stuff every once in a while. And for kids who never had a cheese toastie, they're oh, like yeah. informing, informing you, like, yeah. you heard about this new thing with cheese <laughs> And bread. It's You're all like, over yeah, TikTok. We, uh... They love it. Um, <laughs> oh, did you ever have those Breville sandwich makers? You know the ones that you did we at did. home. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever put tomato <clears throat> in those? That was dangerous. That was so dangerous. That was dangerous. I was listening to something earlier about Chernobyl. I thought, yeah, but did you put <laughs> a tomato in a Breville sandwich maker? That was. It was the heat of those tomatoes. It's still. It was insane. Tomatoes have a lot of water, so they retain a lot of heat. That's what I eventually discovered. That's why that happened. Anyway, Jeff, <laughs> I wish we were doing Breville cast, but we're not. <laughs> so um, there's still time. There's still time. Who are we remembering today? If there's anyone specific, or maybe there's more than one. Well, there's quite a few. I mean, like part of me coming on the podcast, I don't want to be like macho and competitive about it. But my my tale of the tape is is pretty uh, impressive or, or, or sad, depending on how <laughs> yeah, you want to yeah, look at yeah. it. But it's, but there was, I mean, I lost, the first time I lost was in 2009 with my mum. And then in the middle of the last decade, I had quite a sort of a succession of loss, um, which started when my mum was 2009. Then we lost a, a baby at 34 weeks in 2014. Then uh, people were going, Jesus Christ, get back to the Breville chat. Um, <laughs> first defensive joke from Jeff. Um uh, six weeks later, it was my best mate. Then a year later, it was my dad. And then a year later after that, it was my stepdad. So it, um, there was a, it, you know, the, the one with my mum was, was shocking and intense. Mm. But then it was sort of followed by a, a flurry um, in the middle of the last decade. So always, remembering all of them periodically, I guess, yeah. is the answer. It's so hard, isn't it? Like, I, I don't, this seems to happen sometimes. You have a run. We definitely had a run. Mm. Like my dad, my grandpa, then all these like great aunts and great uncles. And my mum used to say like every time the phone rang, oh God, he's died now. Like, you know, you just get into that. Yeah, like yeah. you're just, oh, it's another funeral. And like, I used to joke about like the funeral dress I had just kind of stayed in the wardrobe. Like, you didn't put it away. because you yeah. were like, Get yeah. match fit as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Like, get match fit for funerals. Yeah. I mean, I listened to that very, very good episode with um, Adam Buxton. And oh, I really yeah. identified with what he was saying about 
you know, once the mm. second parent goes, mm. the I think they call it adult orphan syndrome. Yeah. There was I really you're like your podcast is so great, and I really wanted to reach out at that moment, but I don't know him. But that feeling, it's very weird being like you know you're a middle aged man. I suppose you're a point in life where you're supposed to be on top of stuff. You know what you know you're out there making your way in the world, but equally when the second parent goes, it takes a while to work out. It really does, especially yeah, if you're yeah. an emotionally retentive bloke. And then you kind of go, oh, I'm all alone. And then it's really, and then you get sad about being sad because mm. it's quite a tragic thing to acknowledge about yourself. But there's definitely something interesting about the second parent going, I think, because it's yeah, sort definitely, of... definitely, definitely. I think it, it's, a, it's a big moment for a human, you know, the two people who mm. created you are no longer there. And my husband's lost both yeah. his mum and dad. And he said it felt the most alone and the most free at the same time because it was like yes nobody is going to give me that look anymore about anything <laughs> you know like i am really well, yeah you also step up you go like oh, i'm you know the matriarch or the patriarch yeah. of, of, although my sister would laugh at the idea of me being a patriarch <laughs> of the family i mean even saying that i thought come on Jeff, no one's buying that <laughs> but but i think what it also does is it kind of consolidates your mm. understanding of both those parents i don't i mean this is a really stupid example but when a, if you're filming a zoom thing and then when you stop it sort of downloads the file yeah yeah and so it's that period afterwards where it just sort of gets together all the information and it helps you it, you sort of understand them both a bit better because while one's still alive there's part of their story that's sort of a, sort of hidden or mm. or locked away inside of them and then you get this sort of objectivity about who they were and I certainly think from my point of view is that I find it very hard to like be while my dad was still alive you still have questions about both of them but now I'm very accepting of all that they did and why they did it I, you know all a lot of the decisions that they made in their life make a lot of sense to me now. I think I mean, they were still mad. <laughs> they were both incredibly mental. But I understand the mental. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really good place to get to if you can with a parent that's gone. Yeah. I mean, yeah, my dad was mental. And it's taken me mm. years to be like, okay, I can see a lot of the reasons why that might have happened. <laughs> and to reach a kind yeah. of peace with it. And it doesn't mean that you're never sad or you're, you're like, I'm fine, doesn't bother me. It's just like you said, it... I can really see that with, yeah, when both parents go, you can look at both of them with some perspective, I guess, and hindsight. I think, it, you know, in a weird way, having a sort of slightly mental parent helps because you have stories, yeah, right? Yeah, you can, yeah. you can take joy out of the stories. But my dad, was, both of them were very brave in the running, like, and, and I really, that means a lot to me. Mm. One, because it makes me feel like I can be a bit brave when yeah. that time comes around. But also, I really value human bravery. And my dad... He was hilarious, like, towards the end. He was so kind of, like, resilient and stoical, and he just refused to be... Like, even when he was dazed from death, he was still answering the door. <laughs> I heard, like, a, a, I was staying at his house near the end, and I heard a tumble in the middle of the night, and I thought, here we go, it's mm. going to be me. I was convinced it would be me to sort of find him. I come downstairs, and he uh, he had his laptop out, <laughs> and he was sitting there, and he had he had 500 quid invested in some sort of tin mine in Bangladesh. He was, he was left-wing, he was a trade union man, but he had a glint in his eye around money always. And he would make these little investments, and I come downstairs, and I was like, what are you doing? He's going, I'm just looking at the news about Bangladesh, how it affects my tin mine investment, or whatever this is. <laughs> and he just looked at me and went, Go to bed, Jeffrey, you prat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that communication between parent and child that, yeah, only they can. I'm still the kid. Yeah, yeah you're still I'm the still kid. still the kid. Yeah, yeah, he was delusional, you know, like he had morphine in his system, but he was still like, I'm the dad. 
um, you're the kid. And my mum my as well, like when she was on her way out, she um, the, the night before, she did this complex mime, which I can't really, <laughs> it was a really bad thing to describe over a podcast. But this, uh, she did like a, she used to do it as a kid to make us laugh, but with an invisible needle oh, and a thread. Oh, yeah, and your lip, that one. Yeah, yeah, and your lip, and then you just move it and the lip goes yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she did, she executed that oh, wow. perfectly. She, she, she called us back to the room <laughs> and just did that mime. And I, and I think that I, I sort of for a while tried to grapple with there was some deeper meaning there. And I think that the deeper meaning is that there was no deeper meaning. It was just yeah. a funny... As, and, you know, humour is often that. It, yeah, and as a parent, though, to be like, oh, this used to make my kids laugh when they were little. Yeah. So it's almost like, God, that is... Jeff, that is a heartbreakingly beautiful thing to do to your children as you're going. Because it's like, I know mm. that will make them laugh. I know that will make them... It's me. It's something we did that we shared. It literally says, I love you, when she couldn't say, I love you. That's just... But it's also yeah, really she didn't funny. Want us to, and she didn't want us to be sad. Mm. You know, like that was a big thing with my mum. And, and possibly excessively so in, in a way that she didn't... She didn't herself because she was an orphan. Mm. She... I always say orphan. No, she, she, uh, she didn't know who her dad was and her mum gave her up when she was five. I don't know what the word is. Like she was given up for adoption. But yeah. I just... She felt like an orphan. Yeah, like she felt yeah. a bit, there was an orphan Annie vibe about her. So she never exactly knew how to parent specifically. But consequently, she did all these mad things, some of which were really inspired, some of which didn't show a full understanding of, of what the legacy would be. Like, for example, she didn't have a, um, a headstone or anything like that or a place for us to go, which I understand that she didn't want us to be sad. But I must admit, like, the, the conventional pillars of grief, yeah. They really have a place. Like you need, like when my dad has like a really solid place I can go, my mate Mick who passed away, like there's a solid headstone that I can go and talk to and you suddenly go, oh yeah, all that stuff like funerals, all this, this stuff has existed for a long time for a very good reason. She had her ashes scattered in the sea and I think her thought was that we would always be in a positive headspace when we were near her. But I would never go against her will, yeah. but I sort of, there were times when I thought, God man, I wish, I wish that there'd have been a, a place just to go. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really because when I do the live show with comedians and we all like plan funerals sort of jokingly and lots of them yeah. are like, oh, I don't care. Shove me in a bin bag, chuck me on the other side of the road. And I'm like, it's not for you. <laughs> it's not for you. Because it's not for you. you're like the people who are left behind are the ones. And I think you're right that the, the sense of um, solidness and somewhere to go. My dad's ashes were scattered in Wales. So he was Welsh and it yeah. felt like. I'm glad we did it because um, he refused to say what he wanted done because he was like, I'm not dying. <laughs> Spoiler, he did. And um, <laughs> and then I feel a bit the same. Like, I'm glad we did it that way, but it'd be nice to have somewhere to go because you just sort of feel no, like, I'm... you know, when people have a place they can go, and I guess you have that with your dad as well, you know what it feels like to have somewhere to go. Yeah. It's tricky. Well, I'm sort of like, you know, like people talk about big C conservative. Mm. I'm small C conservative in the way that I, I understand like these things that have been around for a while, that they're there for a purpose, you know, and having read, I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've read quite a lot of eulogies at funerals mm. and stuff like that. That when you're standing up there in that moment, seeing what, where people are, what they're feeling and what they need from you, you is exactly what you say. You know, it's more for us yeah. left behind because there is something, frankly, egotistical about. Hey, man, just just throw me off the side of a boat, man. I'm a free spirit. You're like, all right, 1970s hippie. Okay, good for you. You'll be dead. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, yeah. We won't. And my yeah, my dad was a 1970s hippie. So yeah, it was a bit like, oh, I don't, want, I you know, I'm not talking about it. And then we were left with like, oh God, what. Well, what, what, what would he want? But yeah, it's it's tricky. Yeah. Um, so to start well, start at the beginning, not the beginning, but obviously yeah. the beginning of your your grief journey. What did your mum die of? What happened? She died of uh, lung cancer. Lung so cancer. If, 
So it, it, first there'd be a lot of people going, did she? Yes, she did smoke a lot. She yeah. smoked 20 a day. Smokers always want to know because they want to hear about that exception yeah, to the rule. Yeah. Uh, but she did smoke a lot. And um, yeah, it was it, it was a, a diagnosis to death. It was about nine months. And, and the, what complicated it in a way was that she had, um, she'd had a very strange relationship with illness, but partly because of her awful mm. start in life. So she often created the impression that things were wrong when they weren't and it, it made it difficult for me and my sister to work out uh, whether or not she was really ill mm. and then you know it's almost like the Spike Milligan I told you I was ill yeah but what happened was I think as for, for her own self in that period she was so unbelievably brave and stoic it was incredible really she sort of pulled off this smoke and mirrors trick whereby we just didn't, she didn't feel ill to be mm. around. She didn't look ill. And then I see photos of her now in that time and she really looked ill. But mm. the power, the force of personality that she had, she was a very charismatic woman, that she pushed this out into the world. And and so when it came around, you know, that they were talking about sort of palliative care and the, the sort of end game, we were, come on, mum, you know, like, come, oh, don't you pull in this one again sort of thing. And that was a hard thing to deal with afterwards mm. for both me and uh, the rest of the family. But... But but yeah, luckily we all kind of you know cottoned on in time, and she had a she had a it's going to sound weird to say, but she had a good death, you know, yeah, like yeah, with no, family yeah. around her for many days, and but I had an incredibly close relationship with my mum, so the process of her going, you know, everything that's happened since has been shocking in its own way, but that literally sort of just just pulled the rug. Mm. It, it sort of turned me back into I was a very neurotic, scared little boy, you know. And it sort of put me right back there. It took a few months, but I, yeah, it was it was a massive shock in my life. Oh, I think when the pe- when your first parent goes, <laughs> yeah. if you're lucky enough to you know have two present in your life, it is such a shock. And the phrase that's often used on the show is um, like the magician's tablecloth trick. You know, so like yeah, yeah. it gets pulled. Everything's sort of in the same place, but not. And so your your whole your world is shaken, you know, like the ground isn't where it used to be and it, Well it's tectonic plates have yeah, shifted underneath yeah. almost and, and and I think that the thing you know, coming from a working class sort of South London background, it was one of those things that I you know, hadn't really ever discussed or thought mm. about. And, and and the thing that I found most hard to deal with and, and I've spoke to a lot of sort of blokey type blokes like this and they've sort of concurred is the anxiety you know yeah. because you, you because you're burying this is how anxiety tends to work is if you're burying the the sadness it's it, it comes up in another form right so if you do that long enough and then I would just sort of find myself in social situations like in the post office or something just freaking out and I'd never mm. I think I probably had that as a little kid looking back but it'd been dormant for a very long time and then without this sort of safety net or umbilical cord of my mum being around um, it came back really really hard mm. you know and I and and that you know I could deal with it, deal with the sadness in a way, but because of what society tends to expect of blokes, the anxiety made me feel weak and pathetic. Yeah. You know, so then it created self self loathing, and it took a couple of very wise people near me to to get me to go and talk to someone. Yeah, because it's so hard. Because what you're talking about, what that sounds like to me, is just grief. It's just grief. Like that's yeah. what grief is. It's this well of sadness that comes up in all these weird ways, and you struggle. I mean, I I am a terribly anxious person, terribly, which I think mm. I I was a bit anyway and then my dad died so obviously I, my brain yeah. was like brilliant <laughs> got a really good reason to be anxious now um yeah. and it's it's really hard to be sad because it's, especially when yeah. someone dies that level of sadness and I think sometimes anxiety what I've had anyway is like 
there's a part of me that's like, oh, frustrated I'm anxious. And another part of me that's like, I couldn't cope with that much sadness. So my body gave me anxiety to like drip feed it to me. <laughs> so yeah, you like, know, that's exactly, that's exactly yeah, what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, trying to persuade people that anxiety is a form of sadness, it's a hard mm, leap, isn't it? Yeah. Because depression, it's really obvious. You're sitting there, you're all grey, yeah. you know what I mean, listening to sad music. Whereas you're kind of like hyper, you look like yeah. you've just done some gear or something. <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh that... Oh, that sadness, is it? And, yeah. and I do think, and I'm not in, in any way, you know, because I can't compare experiences of grief, but one thing I do know is is if you're a lady, right, and you're out in the supermarket and you have a turn and you sit down, people will rally around in yeah. a way that's okay with that. Are you all right? Should we do it? And, and no, I just had a bit of a funny turn or whatever. Whereas if I, if I was out with my pals and I had a funny turn, it, like they'd be like, well, there better be something genuinely wrong. You yeah. know, like there is that, there is that vibe. And, and, and he, there's, there's great things about being a bloke in that way. There's a certain bluntness, which is helpful. That side of it is tricky mm. because you just don't want to show weakness uh, in front of the pack. It's not just not showing weakness. It's you don't know what it is. Yeah, is you, can't, you can't it, that's give what it a, freaks you out. Yeah, and you can't put it into words. So it's quite difficult to say. Yeah, you know, yeah, oh, Dave, this. hang on a sec. I think that, yeah, I think um, latent feelings about my mother's death are coming back in the form <laughs> of... Uh, uh, racing her uh, heart rate and sweating you go okay <laughs> okay right, mate um, yeah what yeah it's true I think it's true and like, you know obviously there is a, definitely a social acceptance of women being emotional thanks to you know thousands of years yeah. of our society and I I've never had to experience that you know like I definitely I'm someone who <laughs> despite my gender didn't want to cry so I that's what mm. also where my anxiety came like for me it was like I, no one is going to know how weak I feel. Like, fuck you. I, I'm fine. I'm fine. Mm. Which I think also comes out of being a teenager. But yeah, I guess for you, as you said, being a blokey bloke, it's very difficult. Did you find that like you said you had wise people around you? Did Were you able finally just to be emotional with someone and be like, this is awful? God, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, arguably too much. I, I, I discovered crying. Oh, it's I'm really brilliant, into isn't it? it now. It's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's so good. I sort of think sometimes, I was speaking to someone about this, speaking to someone about this the other day, it's almost like, I, I, I'd rather out than in, like, but almost mm. to a fault. It's almost like a tactic. Do you remember when you was drinking as a youngster? You'd have a tactical, like a tactical chunder sometimes. Oh, like, I never did that, but my friends would do that. I, why would you to make keep drinking? Oh, no. I, I was know, like, I'm awful. done, it's I'm awful. done. But yeah, my friends would, so, would go, I'm just going to have a tactical chunder so I can carry on. Oh, no. But I'd sometimes do it. If I was like in a hotel before a gig and I was like, oh, I feel a bit sad, you know, I feel a bit sad. I'd sometimes be like, I hope I can cry because then I know I'll feel better. And then I think there was certainly a point where I got a bit addicted yeah, uh, yeah. to crying because in a way it's just the opposite form of like, right, that's dealt with. And it's yeah. it's, it's still way more, way more complex than that. But what I found fascinating and, and, you know, getting blokes to sort of engage in talking therapies can be a hard thing, but... It, one of the, the lines that I always used to sell it is that the American military use it. And if, if any blokes like got resistance, they're like, oh, yeah, the American military <laughs> use it. And they're like, yeah. The Amer-. And, and it, it just it's just sometimes you're sitting there chatting and you just say that thing. And it's incredible. That you say a sentiment or a thought about someone you knew and loved and it opens this little canister and out it comes and it just unburns you a bit. It may well be that that thing refills again, mm. but it's just one thing that you can do. And I was I was astonished and it really switched me on to the power of the subconscious you know the way that we sort of think we're these sentient beings just knocking about just making choices and actually you suddenly think no there's just this sort of baseline of all these other things that's guiding it and it was it was sort of frightening but 
but liberating and you know I'm a big believer in now in, in, in counselling and stuff but more like the way I always picture to lads it's, it's almost like maintenance pit yeah, stop yeah, yeah. like if you if you do the hard work at the beginning <laughs> you'd probably have to do a really tough four to six weeks minimum or something like that but then you can just dip in yeah, yeah. just have an oil change have a look at the spark plugs get back out on the track on you go you know um, and it so just true. seems to that's me so, so is... pragmatic yeah. and practical it's, it's not even about like masculine or feminine mindsets it's just it's just obvious to me yeah you know? it's obvious no i think that's a really lovely way of putting it and it is it is very practical and it's funny though because like i i don't know if i'm particularly friends with i'm very emotional but i have a lot of friends that have, have found it difficult women that found it difficult to go to talking therapies as well to be like to see mm. that see that as a weakness i wonder if that's a performer thing as well and i've said similar things of like <laughs> like i'll be like it's like dating right you can't just like go to one and accept that for the rest of your life like you've got to try lots yeah. of people and then you find the right one and yeah it's hard and first of all you don't understand each other but then you get through mm. that and then you really understand each other and then you can go oh <laughs> you know what i mean you know what my dad's like and they go yeah i know what your dad's like and then it's like easy <laughs> and i think whatever metaphor you have to use to get people to see like it's not it's not something that a small percentage of the population only can do it's for everybody and like you said it's maintenance it's brain maintenance um so your mum that was in 2009 and then was the Mm. next thing that happened like you said the loss of the baby yeah yeah so that was 2014 we'd had a couple of miscarriages before that one in two th- the one at the end of 2013 really quite affected me quite profoundly but obviously not on the same level mm. and then we got to about 34 weeks of pregnancy and we we were both quite nervous throughout the whole thing it didn't in a weird way it didn't come completely out of the blue we were, we had all this I don't know this sense that something might mm. go wrong but we never fully believed in it and then we went for um we didn't feel any movement and then we went oh. for a scan and yeah yeah there was there was no heartbeat and it was um just a, I mean, you you know, we can, we're going to talk about lots of different things. There is, it's a losing a child in that way is mm. is an incredible black hole of anything because you don't have anything to peg it to. Now, you when I hear about people losing kids at three, I think I can't even imagine that because you've built a relationship with that child. But it, mm. there is something incredibly unique about having loving something. And this is the thing for anybody who's listening who's had a miscarriage or a stillbirth is I, I sort of think the moment that you know you're pregnant, you start building a place in yeah, your you head and heart. Yeah, you start building them, yeah. The first moment. And so some people think, well, it was only like seven weeks. It was only 13 yeah, weeks or whatever. Yeah. But it was already being... So whatever, whatever stage you lose that, you have to deal with the fact that that space will be unoccupied. And, and it is, you know, women have to go through with the birth and it, so what happens straight afterwards is that the woman is in a state of emotional and physical trauma right mm. so what i think tends to happen certainly what happened with us is that as the bloke you have to just and this is where in a way toxic masculinity whatever you want to call it is actually quite helpful because you shut off your emotions almost completely mm. because you have to deal with because you do have something to take home from the hospital and needs caring which is your missus really mm. um and you know i think i think looking back i can tell that i was very much in shock you know very yeah, much in shock and just and just go in and and i buried my emotions and what you go through these very strange things where you sort of become like a news reporter in your own life you know because mm. you have to relay this terrible information to people so you sort of take refuge in certain rhythms of factual news discourse which feel perverse Mm. But the problem is, is I would say to any bloke, I completely understand you pushing your emotions down, but there does come a point where you do have to chat 
and it's sometimes it can be hard to remember where you put them and your friends and family will all naturally focus on the woman which I I get that but there there comes a point where you have to deal with it and it's a really complicated one you know what my wife's been through is on a different level Mm. to what I've been through but I do think that there is in terms of how blokes deal with this it's a bit it's a bit of a blank space really yeah and oh god I mean I've had um a Zoe Clark coat on from saying goodbye mm. which is the yeah you know miscarriage and stillbirth charity and and yeah. what she said always stuck with me of like it doesn't matter how you know you could be one week pregnant and you lose it, it to, like you said there was a place in your heart place in your brain and your brain I know especially talking to my female friends you know often you you know you work out the due date you think about things like that and you, you sort of without meaning yeah. to you know you start and I think humans are very good at picturing a narrative oh, it's going to be that, and we'll do mm. that. I wonder if it's this. And it's very, our brains move very, very quickly, even if, you know, we don't yeah. we don't protect ourselves. That's why, you know, how we fall in love, how we become friends with people. Oh, wow, wow, this is mm. cool, this is cool. And so, yeah, of course, it doesn't matter how many weeks, but I think what you're saying is very interesting. That and, and, you know, the jeopardy, yeah. the jeopardy goes up because, you know, you're, you're, by, by 34 weeks, you've had to yeah. buy. And, but there's little stages all the way, but by then you've had to buy stuff and... It is. I mean, like, and the symbolic things in the weeks afterwards are oh, among yeah. the hardest things, weirdly, yeah. Was that your, was that the first, did you have a child already by that point? We didn't have a child um, no. before that. Okay, no. oh God, that's, no. yeah, it's, I mean, it's always hard, whatever the situation is. And I think what the phrase you use, that blank space for men is really interesting because I think when a woman goes through something like that, it, obviously, like you said, it's another level, it's awful, but I definitely understand I definitely understand between amongst my female friends the level of discourse there is about that and the level of like mm. boom, come together support that woman and yeah. yeah then the man is like oh and he's also there <laughs> like yeah yeah well it, people will ask you whenever they say you know how's, how's your wife doing and yeah. it's totally understandable but then that carries on for a long time and yeah. eventually the sad and this is true of most Greece but particularly of this is that six months is, is quite a long time in, mm. in people's lives who aren't grieving mm. but if you're not you haven't really gone anywhere no and no. And I, I was only just starting to grieve. And then I felt scared because I, I realised I had less space to do it in. And I think that if you're of the mindset, I keep saying male or female, actually, if you're just of this mindset yeah. whereby you sort of like delay things, part of what causes the anxiety is that you feel like you've got no space to be sad because people, everyone else uh, has moved on. And then people, people don't tend to ask you as a bloke mm. about your experience. I had to thank God loads of blokes shared their experiences online and so it's taken me a long long time to speak about this I've been wanting to I've tried to write articles and it just it all seems so insubstantial but it's just she it was a girl and and the fact that I had that one of the hardest things that I found was that I'd wanted to be a protector of a girl you know because that part of your brain lights up and and so this thing had happened and I hadn't done that you know the way that everyone blames themselves and stuff and it um and that that you know that process only started maybe sort of six to eight months afterwards, and it it carried on for such a long time. You know, getting getting sort of worse, and I really had to really had to sort of scratch about to find things to read about that reflected um, my experience. And obviously, me and my wife would sometimes go through phases where one of us was doing a bit better, mm. and the other was doing a bit worse. And sometimes because it's so tough, when you see the other person doing better, you think, well, God, where she's been. I don't want to drag her back to that point, yeah, you know. Yeah. And she and she would have done the, the the same with me. And you know what's interesting in a way is because the kind of personalities we both are, you know, we've got quite a sort of dark sense of humour. We try to sometimes 
make jokes about things. People are not ready for a car. <laughs> That's what yeah. we learn. Health workers, anybody, all your friends. Yeah. There is no space for... Like I used to... You know, when it was building up, we had a service, obviously, to say goodbye. And then the health workers come around. And I mentioned, you know, this is going to be a tough day. I was like, you sort us out any Valium. And, you know, just an offhand comment. Yeah, and then yeah. you'd see them make little notes. I'm like, oh, my God, they think... <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Oh, no, it's, it's really hard. And I think... I mean, I know from this, obviously, different experience. But when I would make jokes about my dead dad and see people's faces. Mm. And it's taken me years to understand, like you're in shock you're in a bit of denial you're in a bit of like can't mm. find your emotions and i think it's really valid what you said it, it isn't male female although that obviously is that as well in the society you live in but i have a similar mindset i think like i delay things i put them down i'm a very mm. good survivor crisis i'm yeah. ready everything's gone block it down let's do this and it, it's it's so what people are seeing when you make that joke is like they are they are reflecting the emotion that you can't feel yet so when they look at you and they're like oh yeah and you're like oh that looks like how i feel don't like that make a joke move on because you yeah, can almost yeah. see it in their faces and you know you're not ready to feel that face yet so because well, i almost probably made that joke to you just then for that exact same yeah. reason because that comic instinct i had was gone well this has been a bit bleak for <laughs> yeah. a, a couple of minutes now <laughs> yeah it is it's but, but you thing, know as, as well as i do as comics that we have to have that oh, we have God, you yeah, go yeah, yeah. you go well, even in the worst thing you go something's got to be funny here yeah. because if, if if nothing's funny then this has has left me completely bereft of of anything i mean one, one thing I, I would say that me and my wife knew in the moments afterwards, you know, because some people choose to see, you know, the mm. child, which we very much absolutely did, but some don't, and you know, I can totally understand that too. Was we 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 very much knew that we wanted to be parents, and what was interesting was that in the build up to that, we were only uh, we'd been married for ten years before we even started trying, and we were very much yeah sixty forty. We'd said we said if we ever got to seventy thirty, we'd start trying, and we did. So we were never hundred percent sold on it, uh, but then we had the. Uh, you know, quite a spiritual moment, really, holding holding uh, her, and the and we knew, you know, hundred percent that we wanted um, to do that. You know, luckily for us, since then we've been blessed with our son. You know, and I, I and this is this is just for me because I always think there's some chance he'll ever listen to this. But like one of the things that we sort of said was, however sad that was, was like we used to say, please God, give us the perfect child. <laughs> give us the perfect child we because of what we've been through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my my God, he is absolutely a stunning human being. Oh. I mean, even even like and I was, even jokingly, we just said, please can he just sleep very well from the first night and not be any bother because given what we've been through and he he just did. So we you know <laughs> We've it's been, worth we've been asking. Lucky. It's worth asking. You never know. Yeah, cosmic ordering. If it's <laughs> yeah, good yeah. enough for Noel Edmonds, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, there are there are complications. So you know, in and the, there's a legacy to it, and, and the legacy is that he's so incredible. But sometimes I feel guilty about enjoying him. If you know mm, what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, you of go, God, how have I been this lucky to have this son of mine? You know, and 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 you know, little stages and thresholds that they go through in life. That make that trigger you to to not be grateful, but to just to. There's a lot of this in grief. I think mm. guilt. Am I allowed to be happy now? Am oh, I allowed yeah, to yeah, yeah. to enjoy this? And I think that with with a stillbirth, I think that perhaps it's more acute than than others. Maybe. Yeah, and especially on you know the stuff that I've read and talked about with child loss and baby loss, it's the life unlived. 
you know yeah. like when you're talking about parents or you know anyone like you know it can be very sad that they die but there's this life we can discuss mm. <laughs> and even if you didn't like some of the things that person did you know there's still this life and with baby loss yeah the life unlived the, the potential the things that didn't happen so of course any enjoyment you then have after that is always you're always sort of weighing it aren't you of like but you know oh there was this door that we didn't go down and mm. I think that is just part of grief it's just you know we call it guilt but really it we need another word for it because it's not as simple as yeah. guilt. It's not like, oh, I did something wrong. It's like, oh, this bittersweet pain inside my heart that what was that life that didn't happen and now I have this life mm. and I'm happy, but I will always hold them at the same time. And it's sort of trying to hold both of those emotions at the same time, which is, is, tr- is tricky to be able to do that and allow yourself to do that. Well, I had to about a year after we lost her I had to almost build up a relationship to then lose it if you know what I mean yeah. because I think that like you say I think that, that how people grieve can be very similar but in terms of a maternal and a, a paternal relationship there are these fundamental differences between the two things and one of them and this makes it both harder for women and in one way you know is that they've had a tactile relationship with the child yeah. they felt it kick and all that sort of stuff so I didn't have I didn't have anything in a way and I had to build that up on another level that makes it tougher and one of the hardest things actually I think if any blokes listen to this will identify with is watching your partner beat themselves up about what's happened mm. that's really difficult because you cannot get in there to make it better you know and and you know fundamentally like when I was talking about we you know we Lot suffered a stillbirth. We lost. It's always immediately occurred to me as we, but but even the language that women use will often be self-flagellatory. I lost a baby. I had a, a miscarriage. You know they'll tend mm. to use the word miscarriage. Rather. So you just that makes it hard because you want to do something for them to make it better, but that's their process. You know, yeah. like you have to sort of like a lot of the thing with grief is is to just listen isn't it it's because you can't make it better and and that's a standard thing with blokes in relationships like right okay that person at work is an arsehole I'll sort them out they're like I don't <laughs> need you I think this person's going to carry on being an arsehole yeah yeah I just needed a place I just need to, to, to put it and I think that's yeah. it's that's really interesting about um that relationship that parental relationship because so much with grief when someone is grieving it is about learning you can't fix it you can't do anything but when both of you are grieving for the same person that's quite interesting Mm. isn't it that sort of um tension in a way because like you said you you can't make her feel better but equally you have your own pain that about the same Mm. person and it is yeah trying to look after your pain and feel it as well as supporting them which yeah you know you just i guess you just have to find your way through it together you're never gonna get it right every time and both of you like you said one time someone's up someone's down it's trying to just keep listening to each other but it's yeah it's a such yeah a and sometimes you situation. do just have to back off and, and deal with your own shit you know if she's yeah. in a good place having gone through the physical trauma of labour and you're starting to go down like you do have to just just suck it up a little bit mm. and but if you're going to do that I would say that there's a jeopardy to that and you do have to find you've got to be talking you know to someone have your and own I place found, to go to yeah. yeah don't just don't just be a hero and suck it all up just just maybe suck it up in that context give, give them a bit of space if they need it to just feel a bit better I mean one, another thing that I found odd because before having a, a child you know like those triggers that people, you know, women that were broody for a kid mm. would notice babies and stuff or blokes that really wanted a kid would see things like they're, someone building a playhouse with their son and be jealous. And all. I never had any of that. But then after we lost the baby, um, I would then see dads with their daughters and stuff, those visual triggers. 
and that made it you know i just thought what has happened to me as a bloke you know i just took a, saw a guy took his daughter into like a changing room and stuff and i was so jealous mm. and i thought god like throw back to me five years ago like being jealous of someone you know changing a nappy and and it's just it pushes your personality into places that you you just have you, you have no sort of precedence for the for the feelings that you're you're having but again you know maybe this is me always trying to find some sort of positive but you know with my son like I remember going into like those changing room things being like ha I get to go in the changing room thing you know they're probably one of a few blokes in history to have like gone yes nappy <laughs> changing <laughs> nobody can stop me doing this so it is so sort of like there can be bittersweet moments mm. you know but luckily the experience of being a, a father to my son has been so just so such an incredible experience these are these are passing phases and moments i go through where it's in a way not a nice problem to have but it's not the worst problem to have where i'm sort of struggling to let myself enjoy as much as i should yeah, yeah. if he'd have been a little shit <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, yeah, that'd be tough. Like a proper little, you know, one of those aggro, you know, when you go like to soft play, oh, God, those yes. horrible little three-year-old boys that stop all the other boys coming down the slide yeah. through some weird primal instinct. If I'd had one of those. Psh. Yeah, that would be that would be really hard. Yeah, that would be tough. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. Just in terms of what you were saying about remembering and mm. you don't have to answer this at all but like did you choose to like um make a place that you could go to remember her like did yeah, you, yeah yeah we've got, we've got two there's one where uh there's a place where um her ashes are and there's also there's a place near the hospital 
um, that's like a tree for all the parents of people where that happened to and you, yeah. you sort of leave careers. So it's both the saddest and most... I mean, it's such a weird thing because every time you go back there, there are more mem- bits of memorabilia further up the tree and it just reminds you... I, mean, I think it's one in 200 pregnancies end like this and yet, you know, we don't talk about it. Yeah. And yet every single day, more or less, people are going through this. So they're both, they're both you know, they can be tough places to go there. I mean, I remember once with my counsellor, I'd sort of gone there with my wife, obviously numerous times to where mm. her ashes were. But what again happened there was because she's in bits, I'm like, right, yeah. I'll support. And my counsellor said to me, yeah, you, I mean, it sounds a bit American, but like, you've gone there, but have you ever really been there, Jeff? You know, like... <laughs> but they're right, I, like, I know what they're saying. Of like, No, 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 yeah. she's absolutely right. So I decided to go there and... Yeah, I was in bits, you know what I mean? And then you then you get this almost narcissistic view of yourself from, like, the heavens downwards. This Look at this poor, sad, middle-aged man sitting by a rose bush crying. And then, and then the problem with the comic mentality is then you find it funny that you're being so self-pitying. I'll tell you something, actually, about... about I watched Dunkirk once. I was up in Edinburgh one year, and, and this was after, like, the big wave of Greece. Mm. So I was still dealing with all of those. And I watched the film Dunkirk. So obviously they're all on the beach and stuff. And I'm a, quite patriotic and I'm a bit of a sort of flag shag or whatever it's called now anyway. <laughs> so at the end of the film, you know, there is this thing of an escape, you, you know, like in, in the face of chaos, there, there's an escape. And I was, in, I was in tears watching this film. And I was like, well, they got off the beach. They got <laughs> off the beach. And there's this big metaphor. It was like oh, this guilt. I got off the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then when I was telling my, and, and my, you know, my, my friend and, and, and my daughter and all these people didn't get off the beach. And then when I was telling my counsellor about it, I just I started crying, but then I started laughing because the way I said it was so American and self-appointed. I was like, I was the only one that got off the beach. And then I thought, you wanker, Jeff. Listen to yourself. <coughs> I think that's one of the nice things about like comic mentality is you have these moments that are like so dramatic and so full yeah. of pathos and then you stand next to yourself and you're like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> like, yeah, and I really like you. those moments because often you you laugh like I've said this before like I remember one of my worst crying moments as a teenager just crying and crying and then being like what is that noise being like who is that yeah, that yeah, goose yeah. and then just laughing so hard being like i can't believe i made that noise that's the stupidest noise i was actually crying yeah, for my yeah. dad like <laughs> if this was a scene in the film that would be bad acting like what's wrong with you yeah, cry better yeah. and then it don't know it kind of breaks you out cry of it better. doesn't it <laughs> cry better woman i was so annoyed but i think it's quite nice to well, have some people that do cry yeah, well, yeah, some people do cry well. I'd yeah. say that again, like if you if you haven't got any practice, and this is a problem for a, a lot of like blokes of a certain age, but they haven't cried for yeah. since they were little boys. Yeah. So when it comes out, they're not match fit, and it looks ugly, <laughs> frankly. Whereas that's so true because they haven't cried for so long. They like they don't know what to do with their face because they're like, oh no, what do I do? And you're like, you just gotta let the tears come. Like, yeah, just let it come, and then not be afraid of the the rawness of it. But yeah. they sort of look like the Hulk transitioning. <laughs> Whereas, like, there are those incredible, beautiful women that can cry and make oh, it work yeah, for them as well yeah. at the same time. But then they are and skilled criers. Like, they know how to use those tears. Do you know what I mean? If they cry too well, yeah. I'm suspicious. Like, if a woman yeah, is... that's not a good human thing, but it's, it's better to look at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so you said at the beginning, so you obviously suffered the loss of your daughter. 
Mm. And then very soon afterwards, you lost a friend as well. Yeah, so my friend Mick, just the best <coughs> guy. I mean, I know that people kind of like eulogise and stuff, but genu- anybody that knew him would say just the best guy. You know, he was in his late 30s and he'd had a Hodgkin's lymphoma. And you're very treatable, by the way, if anyone's listened to it, almost, you know, it's very successful treatment rate. He got very lucky that the treatment took a long time. And, he, you know, went through that to a certain extent with him and his family. And then uh, then the cancer was gone, but then he, his immune system was so battered that um, they had to have stem cells. So there's a period where he didn't have an immune system and he got infected then and his body couldn't fight it. And this was sort of occurring concurrently with um, losing my daughter. And, 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 then, and then sort of six weeks after... Uh, he lost you know he died and I just remember my wife like and you think what she'd been through Mm. and her looking at me like you poor bastard (laughs) I was thinking Jesus Christ if you're saying that (coughs) this this must be bad yeah and um and you know I read the like eulogy I'm very proud to read the eulogy I mean I've read a lot of eulogies so if you ever need a few (laughs) tips but um but the reading the one at his funeral was I mean it was packed out there's so many people there and and you know his his sons there, two incredible lads, his missus, lovely lady, and but just 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 sort of see that was the hardest thing for me was mm. seeing their grief, like what they'd all lost. I could see it, in, you know, yeah, in all of their yeah. eyes. Um, Had you known him so, for like a very long time? Was he an old friend? Yeah, so since we were about nine, so I moved to a council <laughs> estate when I was nine. So my family was sort of doing all right, mm. and then we just became, you know, like poorer than we were. And I th- that's affected a lot of things, I think, mm-hmm. politically for me. But the uh, but he was like we became best friends very quickly, and it, you know he's the best man at my wedding and all all such, and just 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 a tremendous human being. So what I had there immediately was complicated grief, you know. Mm. So I had something come in, and 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 you know more would happen after that. But it just it was a, a just this complete handbrake turn, but onto another shitty road, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was still very recent after, you know, trying to support my, well, carrying on supporting my wife. So it, it was, I mean, it's still, I mean, if you find my dad, which I'm sure we'll get to, which was a year later, but just that sort of combination of knockout punches, mm. it was, yeah, it was a real gouge in in my life and how I felt about things and people and stuff like that. Um, you know, during that time, I, I still got on with things. You know, I was I was in, I was in enough shock that yeah. I was able to be functional. If you know what I mean. Yeah, it's sort of handy that shock. I've definitely been there. <laughs> You're like, I'm yeah. actually it, the professional world thinks I'm fine. <laughs> like yes, I'm absolutely yeah. brilliant here because I have I need so many defences that the person yeah. I'm being here is like a you know a robot. What do you need doing? I'll do it. It's but I can't. Mm. That must be so hard, like you said, like to lose your daughter, have your own feelings, but also having to repress them because your wife has been through this. You know physical as much as emotional and then to lose of such a close old friend it it's almost hard when you get like you said when that much grief smacks you in the face like you I think you do go into shock because you can't separate what grief is what like who's for the what how am I feeling today so you just kind of go that has to just go over there because otherwise I'm gonna be Mm. sick (laughs) like I can't I can't take that and how much longer after that was then that your dad died then so he died. So that was Mick went in the the August. So it's literally uh, no, no, a year and a month later. So eleven months, oh so thirteen months God. later. So he was my dad was September twenty fifteen. Jesus. Um, yeah, and then it was my stepdad nine months after that. So, and so yeah, it was just this. It, I, I mean, it just it had an incredible impact on me. I think one one of the things was that I developed 
not a tin ear for empathy, but mm. I found it really difficult because as social media was becoming very political and stuff like that, you know, people that were online moaning about certain things or making out like a conservative government being elected was just the worst thing that's ever happened. I, I kind of found it very. I, yeah, I sort of thought, and I still do. Yeah, yeah, you're like, it's not the worst. <laughs> thing. I mean, I do think I do think it affected my politics a bit mm. because I became very individualistic. Right, only I can get through this. Mm. No point playing the victim. You know, I became more conservative. I think yeah, as a result yeah. of it, because I thought oh, this is the only option I've got. Like, if self pity is just going to sort of be the end of me. But I did look at whatever it was people were moaning about online, and I still do think that, and I can sort of tell who's had something bad happen in their life and who hasn't. Because if you can sort of act like this thing or something that's happened in another country is the worst thing, or or David Bowie going, or oh, no. you know, whatever. Not, it, not Bowie, Jeff. Not Bowie. You're not allowed to get involved in Bowie. That was. Or um, George Michael. Yeah. I mean, but there, it was around that year. It was around yeah, that no, time. Yeah, no, that's 26. Was it 2016? 2015, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, no, 2016 just... was when Bowie died. I am the big, but like, it's funny. Mm. I, the celebrity death thing or people being on social media had it never bothered me particularly, but I'd never had anyone that had like hit home. And I am yeah. a crazy Bowie fan. And what I had done, which I sort of knew was I had replaced he was my dad in my head because he was still around. Yeah. So somehow in my head, I was like, it's like David Bowie is my dad. And then when he went, I was like, oh not okay <laughs> like it was such yeah. a like and that's that's when it really sort of hit me of like oh that's what I think a lot of people do they you know project totally. onto things and but I, I understand when you're in the pit of grief when you've really had so much grief thrown at you I mean I, I felt like that as a teenager like you can imagine being 15 and having people like mm. oh my god like he, he likes me but like he didn't dance to me at the, at the, when we went to that club and I'm like my fucking dad died I couldn't care less what skirt you're wearing yeah. you know who else is not going to dance with me yeah, yeah, my, my dad, dad. Yeah. okay at my wedding, I, uh, like, fuck you <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. No, I, had, I had answers like that in my head yeah. for I, I used to think like sometimes me and my, my wife would just for a piss like read out some of the most self-absorbed social media messages going god today you wouldn't believe the day i've had yeah. waited hours for a parking space and you just d d grief does provide you with this perspective but unfortunately you often do lose that perspective that's the sad yeah, thing you about do, it you is do. That it does have to happen quite a few times yeah. before but even even now with everything that's happened to me i still get really logged down in you know i can see during the time around that i used to get in a lot of political arguments around Brexit and about party politics but some of that was a conduit for the mm. anger that I felt yeah and yeah. you know like I had a few colleagues that were you know turning against me because my politics stuff like that but I was like yeah burn the whole fucking thing down <laughs> man like and it's not yeah. to say like it did my politics didn't emerge completely during that period yeah, yeah. but I think that there was this kind of like a perfect storm of what was happening on social media echo chambers then Brexit that certainly brought, brought it all up a, a few levels perhaps beyond where it would otherwise have been I used to kind of go am I really that angry mm. at that bloke who just tweeted <laughs> me about something or is this something else Jeff yeah I think that a lot like especially this past year which has been as I keep describing it very griefy like we've we've mm. been grieving for everything and when I've seen people get angry about things this past year I'm like this is because I've dealt with grief so much and interviewed so many people I've said seen people's anger at things I've been like this isn't this is grief you're just feeling so much grief mm. and I've seen it with my friends who've lost people and they start raging about one thing and you're like you're not angry at you know a whole Brexit or that estate agent or your boyfriend you're angry that yeah. your mum died like that's what this is yeah, about yeah, and yeah. It's and, so simple, and yeah. you can't believe that life could do that to you 
and I I know mm. how that fit. Like it's out it's outrageous that life can take people. Yeah. Like it's just infuriating. But it is this weird process. I think all of us do go through at varying points in our life where you go, oh, I see. I'm not in charge. I'm not in charge of how the world works. Mm. Doesn't matter what I do or how I think or what I read or how funny I am or how clever. I, doesn't matter. I will have things taken from me, and that's a really hard place to sit with <laughs> which mm. i think is when yeah. you know talking therapies can be so beneficial because you can sit with that with someone being like yeah it's awful i'm sorry it's awful but that is how mm. it is and of course you were furious like to go through that much it's such a lot to go through and i think it's hard when people have like sort of like multiple griefs like that like smack in the face over and over again because you mm. don't get a chance to recover from any of them no. you're still going oh god that happened oh now that's happened like you your brain almost can't catch well, it's up it's like just an image I mean one thing I do think about grief is it, it gives rise to I've, I've done some terrible metaphors in my time oh, through grief too, I love too. a grief metaphor same here same I always here. think and the worst thing is is that people will often kind of go oh that's so beautiful because you're allowed to do a bad metaphor because you're sad and then you think oh, let's be honest was that a great grief metaphor you know I, I've done some terrible ones but here's another one is you know when you download three things in one go oh, yeah, and, yeah, it, and yeah. they all get slowed down yeah. it goes this one's going to take three minutes or yeah, four hours yeah. right that was kind of what was going on in my head and then sometimes the fact I was trying to download so many things meant that the whole process of downloading the whole process of downloading would just stop Mm, completely because you've overloaded the the computer and I just had to just bit by bit unpick it and I had a couple of sort of breakdowns I would say one um, just nervous exhaustion and everything one was in 20 because I had a big Edinburgh in 2016 I still don't know I did that just went up there and did that 2017 had a very tumultuous run that went well but I you know I had a couple of people come in for me because I had a bit more profile and stuff yeah. like that it was difficult and then um, and then after that I just realised oh right I haven't dealt with my dad at all yeah. not at all and as his second anniversary came into view I started getting like not I'd had anxiety before but in and around my work the fear oh, wow. of going on stage I was having like panic attacks on stage and just I just remember one weekend at the Manchester Comedy Store, just like it was one of the hardest things I'd ever done at all because I just, I was never going to back out, you know, yeah, because my yeah. mum my and my dad were so brave. I'm not, I'm not fucking going home. I'm doing these gigs, but like shaking like a leaf, you know, before going on. Now, I know a lot of performers might have had that generally, but I'd always been quite a calm performer. Yeah, so yeah. I was I was completely upended by it. And then that, you know, the second anniversary of my dad came and went, and I thought, okay, well, that that's done. But it, it just didn't, it wasn't done. I was so exhausted by that process. I then, you know, I just, it just sort of opened out and, and lasted two months really where I found life pretty unmanageable for mm. about two months. Oh, but two years is like, that's nothing. It's nothing at all, especially mm. on the back of, you know, losing your daughter and your friend. Like, yeah. and as you said, when you, when you lose a parent and that is the final parent, you've also got that complication. Like, I, I yeah two years to me I obviously I'd say this 20 plus <laughs> down the line I yeah. think two is and what's hard I think sometimes for people listening you because I know you're telling me two plus two Edinburgh's I'm like dude that is so much to deal yeah, with yeah, yeah. that is so much because Edinburgh's this insane thing that pushes a lot of things away and it, it gives you such a focus and actually I know so mm. many people as I'm sure we all do who've had amazing Edinburgh's because there's so much shit going on over there. It, they yeah. cannot deal with it. So they like zoom in on the show and the show is this incredible hour where they don't have to think. And it's beautiful because they have this, you know, this space to just be free of all that other stuff that's over there. But that will, like, as you, 
as you experience that like it doesn't go anywhere it waits for you that's the, the thing with grief it waits for you but if you are really ignoring it it will just turn up in your body physically and that yeah, is so absolutely. annoying yeah. it's so annoying to be like well people are oh. scared of the power of it because yeah. it rattles around in your ribcage like this fierce animal and you think well oh, I better not let this out oh, yeah. you go well the longer you keep it caged the angrier <clears throat> yeah. it's going to be and I get that fear because it's, it is a fucking animal yeah. it's a beast and, and you're worried that it might consume you. Oh, my God, this is, this is the bleakest metaphor I've ever done, I was going to say. But if you don't let it out, it'll consume you from the inside out. But it's sort it's of true. true. It's, it's sort true. of true. Yeah. You're better off letting it have a run around. Yeah. Um, you, have to, you have to do that because that's what I found that time was I'd let it go so long yeah. without understanding what I was feeling. Then at this point, there are, in terms of being a comic, there are good things that you just have to get your shit together for yeah. 20 minutes a night. If you can do that, you're all right. However the scrutiny that's on you mm. and the bigger the gig then it becomes really really tricky you know like and and I don't know about about you as a performer but I can perform in almost any state of mind but being truly sad within yourself and having to yeah that it's is just awful. and then throwing the anxiety and it is yeah that was that was um, a tricky time and I, I ended up uh, I ended up taking medication on that occasion because I just needed some help, and I—it's true again because of my upbringing and stuff. I didn't—I really disliked mm. going on medication, and I know a lot of people say, "Well, you know, it's brave," and I thought, I don't think it's brave. I just, again, I just think it's practical. Yeah, yeah. I just—I'd I'd be better if I didn't have to go on it. Yeah, but you sometimes I mean. you—but sometimes, yeah, it's like painkillers, isn't it? It's like sometimes you just have to take. I after my first C-section was like, I don't need these painkillers. No, 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 no. Like, yeah. I'm fine. No, I don't. I'm very strong. <laughs> literally uh, two in the morning like unable to move or breathe there's so much pain my husband being like please just take a paracetamol and at that when I finally <laughs> got through that mindset I was like what was I yeah what are you so afraid of what are you yeah. so afraid of some weakness you're revealing because you well, need you because it's taking something else from yeah. you I think it's taking something that you like about yourself yeah, you think no true. I'm resilient I crack on and I didn't I didn't want to be you know maybe I was being a bit judgy but I didn't want to be someone who's on medication yeah. and then when when I lost that I felt like I lost and it's a lot of it's just giving in to yeah, the surface yeah, yeah. but I can remember like you're saying about your husband I remember I was sitting there in a, in, a, in a GP's appointment and he was showing me what had happened to my brain because yeah. of the sadness and he showed me these three triple big dips get going down and I remember even though he showed me in, in a completely sort of uh, plausible diagraphic form I was like yeah but come on I'm still pitying myself and I <laughs> and it, like <laughs> it's this so is still hard. a bit it's so hard if you've been in, if that's how you've been brought up and you know like you said you know mm. we live in this very this toxic masculinity pa- patriarchy whatever you want to call it there is this expectation on on us as society and, and or you have that mindset I definitely am someone who doesn't ever want to be vulnerable I'm so strong I'm so resilient and it, it's so hard to that I think what I've learned is that you do the thing you take the medication you have the therapist and the voice is still yeah. there going well oh, you fucking idiot you, you're just being pretty and yeah. you just go thank you <laughs> thank you for your opinion and then but it's never that voice is never going to go you know you never I don't think you get to a point where you go oh yes I completely accept all these things that are are inverted commas are wrong with me I think you just have to go but that but that you know. part of you has its value that part of yeah, me got true. me through a lot of stuff as well so it's just sometimes he's wrong but there's other times <laughs> yeah it's like where... knowing isn't it like mate sometimes you've got good you're good yeah sometimes you've good thoughts but right now no <laughs> yeah sometimes the boot up the arse has yeah. been necessary and you know like you've got to, now you know I've got a son at this point I've got to get on and and so there's additional pressure this is not it's not it's just needing to be successful at what I do mm. to provide for my family so but what all amounts to a sort of level of jeopardy that it's just really difficult yeah. to uh to to cope with but um 
you know, he, I had another particularly tricky spell, you know, with, with my stepdad as well mm. when he was, what was he, 2016. I just felt like, and I, I don't know if anyone who's had lost lots of people successively, I felt embarrassed like having to tell people that someone else had died. I was like, w- at what point do I get held responsible because, <laughs> like, or, or investigated? Well, you know? Jeff's the one who knew them all. Yeah, I know. It's, it's yeah, yeah, like it's my, hard. you know, like sort of line of duty. My face is on these pins <laughs> with these lines going to. But he was a huge figure in my life. He was there since I was nine. He was a very good man. And, you know, like, he, I think it was. I think he, he missed my mum a lot for a long time and, and it was a very different kind of sadness, um, him going, you know. But but then, yeah, once I was out the other side of that, I, I sort of thought, you know, I had that spill in 2017 and then in 2019, it was the, the five-year anniversary of my daughter and it was, um, it was the 10-year anniversary of my mum and again, mm. all came back like, and this is just such a weird thing. Again, this is why I respect the sort of well-established principles of grief is, I think two years is a big anniversary, five years. Your brain keeps track of these numbers, two, five, ten maybe. Someone said it the other day, um, I interviewed this guy Sam who lost his wife Kim that we talked about last week, he was a friend of mine, and he called it morbid maths. And I really like that phrase of like, you keep keep going, oh, it's this year's and that number and that number since I knew them. Mm. And yeah, it's, but your brain has to do it to process it. Oh, it's, it's, it's ticking over in the background the whole time. I think two years is because you've been through enough rounds of life, like mm. birthdays and anniversaries, that your brain ha- has to fully accept that they're gone on some level. Yeah. Like you can go, a denial can take you a long way. Five years is then you've had a proper block of your life where you go, oh, that, you know, a lot of different things happen within the family, life change. Ten years is like, well, that's a solid. You, mm. Again, they're all about stages of acceptance. And, you know, with my mum, it, it came around so forcefully. Like yeah. I'd probably gone a couple of years where, again, maybe because I'd been dealing with all the other stuff, but went back to that sort of mothership of grief and I was like, oh shit, you know, this is, I'm feeling all all that stuff again and, and had to, but again, like like such an idiot. I remember on the day of the fi- uh, five year anniversary of my daughter was, I had two Edinburgh previews booked in that day. <laughs> Of course you did. Of course, yeah. Of course, one, one, an afternoon one. Yep. And then I went up to a hospital to see a relative on my my wife's side who was very poorly, which is a great place to go on the mm. fifth year anniversary. And then one downstairs at the King's Head. And I remember like coming off stage after the one in the evening, going, "I didn't really feel like I was myself tonight." You know? <laughs> like, I wonder. I wonder why. I think ten is. Yeah, I found five, ten, fifteen, and I had twenty about three. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I found that really hard, and I would get so annoyed. Mm. I'd be like, "Why? Why can it just be? Why does it mm. fucking matter? So what? It's twenty. I'm not, you know, like I'm not numbers. I'm not. I'm a person, <laughs> not a number." Yeah. And um, I found ten and twenty really difficult. They just seemed so large and like such a large you know you're looking at such eras a, yeah an era. eras have passed since that person's <clears throat> been around i think that i mean you mentioned i've been listening to your podcast about the pandemic being griefy i think that one of the things that can sometimes trigger another layer of grief is that a big life experience comes and goes yeah, whether they, they weren't a part know, of yeah. so you never so anybody that's feeling sad now i think that for me that was a part of it because you go I'd never have that recollection of that mm. with them. You know, I'd never know how they reacted. This is a this is a formative part of all of our lives that's happening, and it's happening without them, and it's also happening without them simply to talk to yeah, them about it yeah. or, or relay or find out. And you know, there's been weird levels of one realizing how hard it is for people whose parents are still around managing them mm. within a pandemic, but 
also that desire that you have at this point in your life to care for both of them as well going I quite like to fuss around them going oh, come on go and get your back you know and all <laughs> yeah, this sort of stuff yeah. now anyone who's got a, a cantankerous parent listening going Jeff you do not want that <laughs> I don't <laughs> but it's, it's an idea in the same way that you miss out on you know like um, big life events or you know things I would have gone through having a daughter or my best friend it's it's you you, you want to play your role as in this, you know, free school year and ten, this yeah. sort of seventy-year cycle that we sort of promised. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it is. It just, I think that's so important that you just, you just have to somehow allow yourself it. And it sounds like you have got, sorry, wrong word, but it sounds like you've got more comfortable with allowing yourself those emotions than when you hmm. started on that. You know, the first grief of like being like, oh, it's five years. Yeah, it does matter. These things do matter. And I think what's interesting is I think sometimes people think, oh, I on a five-year anniversary, I have to stop. I have to, like, you know, be silent yeah. all day. And it actually, it isn't that. It's just about doing what you would always do, having your normal day, but allowing yourself to be different, to know that you're not landing jokes in the same way or you're off with a friend. Because, because those... And not not judging yourself for that. I think that's what I've got better at, being like, yeah, it's anniversary, so I'm not going to be tip-top carry-out today. <laughs> like, yeah, you take, you take, yeah, take the pressure off yourself. And, and in some ways, there's aspects of it that are harder because in the early years, it's very obvious why you're sad. Yeah. It's very obvious what the feelings are. But bit by bit, they get buried further deeper. And, and that's sometimes the frustrating thing for me is like, is I think, what exactly is it? And I have to work a bit harder to, to find out exactly what that thing is like it's the same with the pandemic i had a spell in january february obviously lockdown didn't help but just thinking what in particular is it and then i just worked out i was like yeah i just haven't gone through this life experience with them i would have loved to have known you know how angry they would have been about you know what my mum would have said at the telly when matt hancock was on and you know <laughs> all, all, all these kinds of kinds yeah. of things and how my dad would have been fascinated about the vaccine rollout just yeah. loved big infrastructure big state all this sort of stuff so so all of these things, you sometimes realise how heroic dealing with stuff is because every day there's these little things that come in those hit zones that you're just having to kind of subconsciously acknowledge and move on. But sometimes they just get so big that you have to t- attend to them, really. I think that's, yeah. Thank you so much for talking to me because, you know, what you've been through is is a lot. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard to deal with. And I think you, you talking about it is only a good thing. It's so complicated. Like right now, even right now, I'm aware that today I'm on decent form. I'm, I, f- I don't know how I come across, but I feel like not yeah, too bad yeah, today. Yeah. But I already feel guilty that people listen and go, "How can he be so all right given everything that's oh. happened?" This is it's non it's non stop. I, I don't. It's so hard because I think you you are on brilliant form, and I don't think people would think like, "Oh, he's fine." Especially uh, my listeners. My listeners are in the club. My listeners get it. <laughs> like that. Yeah, some yeah. days you have days you can talk about it, and that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean you're fine with it. That's what I think is really important. Like, mm. just because you can joke about it or you can talk about it, doesn't mean you're like, oh no, absolutely. If I could choose it again, I'd do the same things. It's like we're still sad, but we're just learning yeah. to process it. Um, Jeff, just because I ask everyone this, we didn't get their names. Would you mind me asking what your your mum, your dad, your friend? And yeah, my mum was called Jan, but her she was called Jennifer oh. to begin. With. She had loads of different names. <laughs> uh, the daughter we lost is Connie, Aww. and that's the first time I've ever said that publicly. But I, I think it's—I think I should say it because yeah. a lot of this is just holding on to stuff. Uh, my mate Mick, uh, Mick died. Um, God, what terrible way to say it. That was my best friend who passed away. Uh, and then my dad was also called Jeff in a spectacular <laughs> lack of ambition. Um, they named me the same thing. And then my stepdad was called Roe. 
thank you. Yeah, we like Roland. To, we like to say yeah. their names just so they. No, no, it's important. I think here. you're right. I, I was conscious actually throughout our chat that I was holding on to Connie's name. Yeah. And I think why? Because that is some of the, that's one thing that's worth remembering. Is there's a reason that you hold on to this stuff because you, you, this one little thing that you've got, mm. but. But yeah, that was her name. It's a beautiful name, and um, it's beautiful. you know, and and I'm I'm lucky now to to have a son, and, and you know, it's kind of um, I do think that there's something. If there's not like if you don't believe in like higher powers or all this sort of stuff, there's certainly something in the spirit of her in him. But just because we felt so certain that after we had her, that we wanted, you know, yeah, we wanted to have a child, and we wanted him to be amazing. He, he's he's an he's an amazing kid. Oh, Jeff, thank you so much. I really appreciate talking to me about. Thank you. All of those people. Thank you. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Norcott. That's G-E-O-F-F-N-O-R-C-O-T-T. And his new book, Where Did I Go Right? is out tomorrow, the 13th of May, 2021, in case you're listening to this in the future. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was recorded remotely uh, from both our living rooms, I think, uh, edited by Kate Holland. The music is, as ever, provided by the brilliant Glue Ensemble. And remember, you are not alone. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.